Blog Talk Radio. The tradition of sending a valentine on the 14th of February became popular in the 19th century. There were two kinds. The first were pretty and sentimental, and the second were crude or vulgar. Thankfully, the latter have fallen out of fashion. After all, who wants to receive a valentine that says something like, you're mean, ugly, and no one could ever love you? So many were sent that it put extra pressure on the post office. In 1883, supposedly 2,768,000 valentines were sent. Authors like Charles Dickens and Thomas Hardy used valentines as important objects for plot and character development in their novels The Pickwick Papers and Far From the Madding Crowd. Valentines, then, remained objects of fascination in the 19th century, highlighting intersections between literature, commerce, and art. Welcome back to the Maze and Mets podcast. This week we will be continuing our talks on spring training, um, the beginning of the season, and focusing on the Jacob deGrom extension situation. Welcome back, everybody. Um, I'm John here along with Jake. Um, so starting this week, uh, there's been a lot going on with the uh, Jacob deGrom negotiation, contract negotiations, um, a lot of uh, different stories coming out. Um, it started with uh, Jacob deGrom saying he was disappointed um, that the Mets weren't offering him a contract. And then a few days it turned into the, um, Jacob deGrom and his camp essentially um, trying to uh, strong arm in a way um, to get uh, a more leverage in the contract situation um, by going to even the depths of saying that he would limit the amount of innings he would pitch um, uh, that has been a story that uh, has uh, left a lot of people, uh, um, you know, um, just shocked. But, you know, with DeGrom, he's a guy who, thing that he's been asked to do, and um, he wants that contract so he can um, settle down with the Mets. And the Mets said they would offer it to him, and they haven't to this point. So he feels like uh, loyalty has been betrayed. Yeah, I mean, and I have to stick with him on this. I think the Mets organization has had a great off season, but this was has been their biggest swing and miss. I mean, it, it's it. I'm honestly scared that Degrom is putting an innings limit on himself because once the money turns into an in-game situation, then it, it becomes ugly between both the player and the team. So I think the best thing to do is to just get this settled as quick as possible. I don't think there is much of a choice um, otherwise. I feel like there's there's no nothing else you could be doing right now other than negotiating this contract with Jacob DeGrom's team. Yeah. Um, you know... 
there's um, a radio host on uh, WFAN, uh, Mike Francis, and most people know him. You know, he was ripping Jake DeGrom today um, for being, you know, uh, basically, you know, self-centered with these negotiations and stuff like that. I think that's completely ridiculous, and I think he should shut his mouth because, first off, he's almost wrong on almost everything. He's wrong on almost everything. Um, secondly, with the DeGrom situation, look, if you look at the amount of money he's made throughout his career, this year he's finally making a lot of money, $17 million. But before that, the amount of money that he deserved for his um, for his production. And this is the, a big problem in baseball. A lot of guys do get oh, underpaid overwhelmingly in their prime. And then when they get to their um, older ages, usually they get a nice contract for what they've done in the past. Those days are over. Guys that um, have played well throughout their prime are coming into free agency, and they're not getting money. They're not getting the money that they've um, deserved all those years despite taking lower contracts. And um, a lot of people are saying, you know what, I have to set myself up so that I don't have to go into free agency because free agency is a nightmare right now. And it is. I mean, guys are going into free agency getting nothing getting absolutely nothing and you could say that this is um you know part of the teams being uh smarter about the money they spend but this is a broken system this is a broken system because these you know these guys are not making the money that they uh deserve based on their and and i think specifically talking about the market itself i mean this week the market the exact market that degrom is in NLE's uh, pitchers getting extensions was was capped this week with Aaron Nola signing a four-year, forty-five million dollar deal, which is like, I mean, he's that that's only about eleven million a year. I, I feel like if it's that easy, obviously Degrom deserves a little more than eleven million a year, and and Nola has his own reasons for signing the contract. I mean, he's not exactly comparable to Degrom, but I think in a sense. In a vacuum, I feel like Nola and, and DeGrom are comparable in the sense that they should have similar extensions. And I think if it's that easy, I mean, I don't, I don't really know, I don't really know what the big issue is. I think you should just pay him. There's, there's really no way around it. Just even if it's more than, if it's 15 million a year for, for the next four years even five years, I mean, I'm not complaining. Well, the difference is that, you know, Aaron Nola has not been in the big leagues as long as uh, Jacob deGrom. So these these years, I think, I don't know if they cover um, any of his free agency years. Um, I know they cover arbitration years, but I'm not sure about free agency. Um, you know, how many years has Noah pitched in the majors? Yeah. You look at it, um, it's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, just a couple of seasons. He hasn't pitched as much as uh, um, Jacob deGrom has, but um, he only got four years, um, and then he'll become a free agent when he's 31. 
I believe it says on his contract. Now, um, bashing Jacob deGrom for um, the self-centered decision. First off, people should know better because we're not talking about a guy with the the type of, um, uh, you know, attitude, demeanor, or even like um, uh, approach, uh, character character approach that um, Matt Harvey or um, other um, more um, more I'd use the word diva but you know um, more um, less humble players who are more um, conceited exactly conceited is, and, is a good yeah so yeah I guess that's a good uh, word to use uh, you know, Degrom doesn't. Um, uh, his character is not comprised of any of that. He is shown to be a true leader, hard worker, humble, resilient. Um, he has done everything he's been asked of and more. And he should have gotten a contract extension a long time ago. And you know what? If he's asking for um, some guy. Uh, DM me said he's asking for five years, 155 million, uh, based on what Joel Sherman said. You know, listen, that's what contract extensions are about. They're about having two numbers and coming to a compromise and trying to figure out where it all uh, should fit together. Um, you know, uh, so Jacob DeGrom deserves a contract extension. They, the Mets, have put all the leverage on Jacob deGrom's side now because they have sat on their their hands. Um, likely because the Wilpons wanted to deal with uh, um, uh, dishing out their couple million dollars per year during free agency, and they wanted to um, take as long as they could to go through this contract extension situation. Now Jacob is de- deGrom is forcing them into it because – um, you know, the Mets said that they would sign him. Um, he's been asking for a contract extension. He deserves a contract extension, and they have not delivered being loyal to him. Yeah, I, I'm just out of curiosity. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but what do you think is your ideal number and year amount for an extension on DeGrom right now? Well, uh, I wouldn't say like my idea. What I'd say is that I think it's the fair type of um, something to uh, that, that might happen, you know. Um, so this was uh, I posted this on my um, first Agram extension post. I said five to six years of 125 to 150 million. I think is uh, fair. Okay. I mean, I, think that's I, I fair. sort of said, yeah, yeah, no, that's definitely fair, and uh, and I think yeah. I mean, that it is very high. It's a big number. I sort of said yeah. the uh, idealism that uh, of these like around four million to five million per war that they produce um, on average. So like Degrom has produced uh, around like a three or four per year other than last year, which was obviously astounding. He almost had a nine war just because of yeah. production. Um, and not to say that he doesn't do that every year, because I hope he does. But, I mean, 
with a Cy Young year comes regression, whether or not it's the year after or, or a year after that. So I think, I mean, I think having him at a solid 17 to 20 million a year, even a little bit lower than that, that shouldn't be something that's too out of this realm to offer. And if that's like, if that is really what's holding it up is that they're giving him maybe if they're on either side. So if he's saying like, I want 16 and they're saying, we want to give you 14. Or if he's saying, I want 18 and they're saying, I want to give you 15. Like if it's really that petty at this point, then I, I don't really know which side to blame. Oh, uh, let me ask you something, because you're looking at the stats um, here. Uh, so, has Jacob DeGrom, in any season, really, ever deserved the amount of money that he's received in the contract so, so far? Based uh, on I mean, his, I don't, uh, personally, I don't think so. Even last year, I mean, I think, even last year, he, uh, by technicality, standing by my own rule, I mean, he deserved at least $40 million for the production that he had last year. But, I mean, for years before that, I think it still sits at around 16 to 18 per year, just based on his war. I mean, it, that's sort of just like a loose thing. Um, but last year, obviously, he showed that he's worth – He's a, he if he does this every year, which, again, I mean, putting if in front of any sentence, it makes it a little bit weary – I personally think that he deserves an extension, but I don't know if signing him to $25 million a year, 27 is really is really worth it at this point when he's only had one year that's worth over $30 million. All right. I think in my opinion, and this is going to sound a little, you know, a little uh, off the blue, I guess, but I- I've heard it before. I think the MLB needs to uh, lower the age or the amount of uh, time that you need to uh, get into the free agency process. I think it shouldn't be six years. Uh, I think it should be lower. Um, now, not uh, that could be uh, debated as to how low, but I don't think it should be six years because people are missing out on contracts because they're not reaching the free agency process until they're out of their prime. Yeah, uh, we're gonna I mean, wrap this up here. Um, we're gonna yeah. wrap this up here, um, and we will be right back. Hello, everyone. This is Blake, one of the hosts of Rattle Up, a podcast all about the Arizona Diamondbacks. This week, we will address some moves the D-backs have made, including signing a veteran catcher, Caleb Joseph and how that will affect the catching carousel on the team. We will also predict stats for all the catchers and first basemen on the roster, and how they'll perform in 2019 compared to 2018. And finally, break down the news and rumors surrounding Bryce Harper and Manny Machado, and set their chances of joining a team in the NL West. All that and more this Friday, 10 Eastern Time, 8 Mountain Time. This Friday, 10 Eastern Time, 8 Mountain Time for this week's episode of Rattle Up. See you there, and go D-backs! All right, and we're back. Um, John here along with Jake. Of course, uh, we were uh, talking about the Jacob deGrom uh, contract negotiations and extension uh, talks, um, and we will continue to do so in this segment. 
um, just a lot to talk about um, in terms of everything. I mean, Jake, let me ask you, do you think that Jacob deGrom is, and his agent dead serious about the, the deadline, the, um, the workload um, restrictions, or do you think they're bluffing? Uh, I mean, we've seen it before, specifically on the Mets team. I mean, players that want more money or feel like they're under under appreciated that that it literally affects their in-game play. So I I don't know if they're bluffing. I don't think they are. Um, I I think Degrom is the type of player. If he's not getting the money, he's he's going to be slowing down, especially because you're, you're right. I mean, we were talking right before the break about the six years and that he sort of is living in his prime right now. And it's hard to put a price on a prime because you never know when that's going to depreciate. So, I mean, it's hard. It's a hard time to get the money, but I mean, he hasn't made it yet. He's proved that he's a size caliber pitcher. Uh, And then on the Mets side, from their perspective, it's like, how long is this going to last for him? Is it worth giving him what – I mean, I'm not even exactly sure what he wants. I think it's all speculation, in my opinion. I don't. I haven't seen a contract. But, I mean, if he wants 25, if he wants $30 million, that's probably a better reason to be to, – for this to be continuing on if he want rather than if he wanted like 20 or to around 17 or 16. Yeah. Um, in my opinion, I, you know, you can't really say, I mean, this is a side of Jacob deGrom we've never seen now, or, you know, I've said, I've been defending his character throughout and I'm still fine with what he's doing here. It's absolutely fine. And he's making a decision to go to bat for his capabilities, his family, because he wants to, um, you know, have a contract that provides him with security and provides him with money that'll set him up for the rest of his life. And I'm fine with that because he deserves it. Now, we've never seen the side of DeGrom where he has, you know, um, you know, uh, sidestepped, uh, not professionalism, but um, more so, uh, you know, his usual quiet, his usual quiet, uh, you know, behaviors and um, uh, sentiments. Uh, he's more uh, outspoken. He's, uh, maybe he's using his uh, agents to do more of the talking here, but he is trying to, um, you know, express something, express something that he's never really done before. Now, um, and I'm completely okay with it because he has done everything right to this point. He continues to do everything right by the team. And, um, you know, he feels like he's been wronged, I think. I really do think so. Because, um, you know, the loyalty factor, I think, is a huge factor because he's been so loyal to the Mets. And these last couple months, I feel like they haven't shown the same decency and respect towards Jacob DeGrom, the best pitcher in baseball. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sort of stuck between a rock and a hard place because, of course, I'm frustrated by how the Mets conduct their business on the player side. 
but I'm also a little bit frustrated when a, a few days ago it, it, it was, okay, the deadline is opening day. We're not going to discuss anything past opening day so that it's not a distraction. And then it evolved into on DeGrom's side saying that it's going to affect in-game play, which is a whole entire other spin to it. I mean, when it, 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 when it goes from out, outside of baseball to affecting the actual in-game play, I mean, there's a lot of things. It's not, you're not just playing for yourself. You're playing for your team. So I think, yes, he deserves the money. He definitely should have had an extension already. It should have been the first thing on the checklist that they checked off. But involving his teammates, involving the city of New York, I think, I mean, we sort of rely on him. So whether or not he's making exact, whether or not he gets his extension, I mean, I think personally, if I was in his shoes, I want to play baseball. Whether or not he gets the extension, because he, well, that's whether or not he gets signed back to the Mets, whether or not he gets signed back to the Mets, he's going to the free agency, and someone will give him that money. So I don't understand why. Of course, he feels a little bit betrayed. He's a human being. He's not just some robot. But I don't know. I just don't like the fact that it's an affecting in-game play. That that should not happen. Well, he's trying to make sure that that's not the case. That's why he's pushing to do this. Because if he goes into the season without a contract extension, with that looming uh, free agency coming up, you know, he has to think about that and prepare for that. He doesn't want to do that. He wants a he wants to pitch with the Mets for a long time and know that he'll be secure and have uh, uh, money flow coming in for a while. So, you know, I think that trying to get this extension out of the way is a way to, um, you know, um, allow him to pitch and play baseball Um, because, and also uh, just to add on, um, you know, we've heard from several of the Mets, including um, Todd Frazier and uh, Stephen Matz, who have been very supportive of, you know, um, the, the actions and the, um, the stance Jacob deGrom has taken this far and his agents have taken this far. And, um, you know, I think that's important because a lot of players are disgruntled right now. A lot of players aren't happy with this process. And a lot of players are fed up. And we're going to see some changes coming soon. But uh, it's so great to see everybody supporting each other uh, despite uh, team differences, um, uh, differences in uh, play, uh, differences in character. Uh, a lot of guys are coming together and calling, you know, uh, this system out as they should because it, it seems like it's a broken system. But, um, you know, uh, it, it just seems like DeGrom has gotten a lot of uh, support from his teammates. And, you know, it seems like he's trying to put this issue to bed for the next half decade at least. Yeah, and I, I mean, I hope it, I hope he gets signed, and I hope he's a Met for for life. But I just don't like, I don't like the way that it's being handled by either side. I don't like. I, I mean, I'm happy that his teammates are there for him, but I hope a guy like Todd Frazier, I hope a guy like Stephen Matt, would sit down and be real with him, just as real as they're being about him needing the money. Be real that. If you don't get this extension, 
one, it's not like you're never going to get the money. Two, there's no reason to affect this team. And, and three, I mean, just there's it, it. He deserves the money. Doesn't mean he shouldn't be producing on the field. For the money should be secondary. Of course, it's millions of dollars. So it's not like he's poor. He's going. He's going to survive. But if if the money is the only part of the game that really dictates how you play the game, then it's get it's getting a little bit too much. But 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 Degrom has proven that that's not the case. He's pitched very well, as I've said, without accumulating the amount of money that he deserves. Now he's trying to make up for that because look, hey, I've been pitching for so long at such a high level and not making the money that I deserve. Let me get the money and security that I deserve now because I have the opportunity to do it and I have the leverage to do it. And I'm going to use every ounce of leverage that I have right now, especially since I've been, you know, screwed in these uh, negotiations in a sort of way because um, my team, who I want to play for um, for a very long time, their front office is sitting on their hands, sitting on their hands, saying next month, next month, just keep pushing back the, the – uh, the deadline. You know what? Let me set a deadline and let me put all these provisions in so that if the Mets don't make a decision uh, to give me that contract soon, then I'm going to be my own man and um, say, you know what? You guys promised me this contract. If you're not going to give me this contract, then I'm going to prepare myself for free agency because that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pitch and I'm going to prepare for free agency. You know, and um, that might sound a little harsh, but just thinking about, um, you know, the way this front uh, office has, uh, you know, uh, done things the last couple of seasons, it, it kind of makes sense. And I understand where the frustration is coming from for DeGrom. Yeah, and I I don't discredit the frustration at all. I think, obviously, anyone who has come across the front office that is the Mets currently, which I think is evolving, but that's a different conversation. I, I, I think the frustration is definitely legitimate. Um, it's just I can't get over the fact that it's going to affect the way that I watch the game. I mean, it just that's a little bit much. Now, I really hope. Well, we don't know that. One, just exactly what I was gonna about to say is that he hasn't even played a game yet. So who says that this is a really real thing that they're not bluffing? That they're not just trying to get them to pull the trigger? So I mean, I just. I just hope it doesn't come to fruition. I hope he gets the contract. But if he doesn't, one, there's always next offseason. I don't think you should give up on the Mets inevitably. I think the biggest reason that you want it off this offseason is because if he doesn't produce the same numbers that he did last season, his value is going to go down. So I think essentially what it is is that he wants that 20-plus per year rather than that around 20 per year. Yeah. I think that's really and, what the big holdup is. Um, our number is uh, 845-277-9345.
If you would like to call in and talk to us about the uh, Mets contract negotiations, please do so. Um, look, uh, DeGrom, I really hope he gets this contract. I don't think he's going to do pitch limits and uh, inning limits if he doesn't. You said there's always next off season, and you're right. But, you know, he's very adamant in getting this contract before opening day. And I have no problem with that. And as I said, I think he's just trying to utilize every inch of leverage that he can right now so that he can get the best contract. He's trying to make the uh, best situation out of this, uh, um, get the best outcome out of this situation. Um, All right, uh, let's wrap this up here. Um, We'll be right back. Hello guys, this is Benson from Bucko Booth. Just want to make sure you tune in this Saturday at 8 a.m. Eastern. We have a very special show lined up for you. Love is in the air with Valentine's Day, and we're going to talk about what you should love about the Pittsburgh Pirates, as well as talking about the spring training television schedule that was just released and how you can watch your spring bucks in action on the TV, and it'll give you the radio schedule as well. Also, we'll be discussing Francisco Leona's role come opening day. Will he make the opening day roster? Will he be in AAA? Starter reliever? Who knows? We're going to make our predictions and much more on this week's episode of Bucko Booth. Make sure you tune in 8 a.m. Eastern on Saturday morning for another great episode of Bucko Booth. I'll let you guys get back to this episode you're listening to, and I'll see you Saturday. And we are back, John and Jake here. Um, now uh, we're going to pivot in this segment to, um, you know, talks about the spring training this far, um, how things are going down at uh, uh, Mets uh, spring training in uh, Port uh, St. Lucie and such, uh, uh, how everything is uh, down there. Um, you know, so uh, Jake – what do you what are your first indications so far uh, about spring training? Uh, what have you seen that you've liked? Uh, uh, yeah, I think the the biggest thing so far this week, other than the Grom, is the the notion that McNeil will a hundred percent be left field. Um, he's probably not going to see time anywhere else, and then that sort of kicks Conforto into right field, which is a little bit surprising. I would have thought that they would have kept Nimmo in uh, right field and and tried to get him more reps there. But it looks like for now what they're trying to run is sort of an open – or sort of run two different uh, depths. So you have from left to right it would be McNeil, Nimmo, Conforto. And on, I guess, other days it would be uh, Conforto, Keon – Slash Gars, and then uh, Nemo back and right. So I think that that's super interesting. Is that it seemed like there was a lot of combinations that you could probably go into, but it sort of feels like they're sort of narrowing it down to just those two dominant ones, which I think is really good. I think you should narrow it down to those particular ones because if you're sort of just going into spring training without I mean, at least going into the season. Spring training is a little bit looser, but if you're going into the season without any kind of plan, then I think it gets a little messy. But 
uh, I, I'm, I'm happy that they have a plan that McNeil's already been working in left field yeah. for about a week, week and a half already, which is really, really uplifting to me. Well, I think that, look, I looked at the uh, defensive numbers. Conforto is a very, very good outfielder. He's, he just does not um, well in center field. So I understand why they're trying to uh, uh, stay away from Conforto in center field. And uh, Nimmo has proven that he's close, at least close, to being a, uh, uh average MLB center fielder. Which is nice to have on the roster because Nimmo is a guy who should be in the lineup every day. Um, he gives you production in center field um, that Conforto really can't. So, you know, I, I think that makes sense. Um, uh, one stat I want to uh, say is a defensive run save. I know um, Nimmo last couple of years uh, in center field, it's been about negative one, negative two on average. Well, whereas Conforto, it's about negative eight, negative nine around that area, it's a little bit worse. Yeah, so I understand why uh, they, they're going with that uh, setup. Yeah. Uh, just just to move on, because there's, there's a few things that I wanted to bring up. The video of Cespedes, I don't know if you saw this, the video of Cespedes walking into spring training, uh, one with only one camera guy there. So that sort of shows how how much hype he sort of lost over the last year and a half. And then two, uh, him still limping, which really is a scary sign to me. I mean, he's not on crutches. He doesn't have a boot. He's sort of just walking on his own. But him limping is a little bit um, nerve-wracking to me because I remember reading somewhere that he should be walking normally by spring training um, and just having it be more of a healing process all the way to – hopefully the all-star break. So that, that sort of scared me a little bit, which I'm not excited about. I love how um, that's funny because the reason we're not signing Bryce Harper or Manny Machado is because we're, we have our own trade deadline candidate. Yoannis Cespedes will be coming back. You, you know, this type of uh, pie natality from the Mets about Yoannis Cespedes coming back and being absolutely healthy when they should know from years of experience not to make such a foolish, um, foolish, such foolish statements, and they continue to do so. And it's really annoying because, as you just pointed out, there's many, there's a lot of chances that we might not even see Cespedes this year. Yeah, and I just think it's a little bit nerve-wracking as it seems like he's a big part of this plan, this inevitable plan that, I mean, it has to be, there has to be a lot of things in play in, in this grand scheme. But, I mean, I think he's probably one of those big, big things that they see being a huge part of the future of this team, essentially this year. Um, but, I mean, it is what it is. There, there's, with injuries, there is, there's not much you can do. I mean, we improved our medical staff as much as we could, it was we were sort of just a little bit late, and it seemed like this could have been something that could have been prevented. But in the same way, I mean, it's a it's a disease, so I don't I don't know about Cespedes this year. Now, you know, it's not even for me. You know, nerve wracking is one word in a, a term of uh, 
what Despotus' uh, situation is right now. But for me, it's annoying that um, the Mets continue to make the same stupid mistakes of, um, you know, uh, relying on something that we can't be relying about. Brody Van Wagenen came in. He said, we are um, not going to rely on questionable uh, parts of the roster. We're going to make sure that everything is addressed. If we are reliant on Cespedes coming back from this injury, they continue to say that, oh, he's this trade deadline candidate for the offense. You know, that's that's ridiculous because that goes against everything that we have tried to implement this offseason, this um, uh, this, uh, what's the word, accountability um, for, you know, not having questions on the roster, question marks. That's a huge question mark there, and it has not really been addressed fully. I mean, if we were to address the outfield fully, we would actually bring in a real outfielder and not somebody who hasn't played in the outfield since they were in college, although I love McNeil. Um, if we were addressing all questions we would not be relying on Cespedes as a deadline candidate to come back, especially when he's limping, coming back at the, the spring training. It doesn't make sense to me. But, you know, this is all coming from the ownership because the ownership does not want to spend more than they have to. Oh, maybe they're trying to fix this team this time. That's all they're up to. Um, and, you know, they – they will try to spin it as they can, although um, Brody came in with a different uh, vision. seems like it has been, um, you know, uh, meshed and mashed up a bit um, because of the interests of the Wilpons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, mean, I, I totally agree with you. And I think we can we can talk about this forever because, I mean, it's it's – Honestly, at this point, it's a it's a little bit frustrating. I think the big thing is, I mean, this, this spring training starts in about a week. I think once we see some players actually out there playing and seeing that one guys are healthy, not particularly Cespedes because he won't be playing, but some some other guys who ended the year having surgeries or ended the year on the DL or coming back from surgeries. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm excited. Um. I'm trying to stay as optimistic as possible because, of course, there's a lot of negativity going on within the Mets organization. So I just wanted to – there was one other thing I wanted to talk about before we, we finish this up, which was the optional workouts, which I always love to look at every year uh, who who shows up to those because, obviously, these guys are get, getting paid anywhere from 500000 to millions of dollars. And to see – guys do things that they don't have to do um it just reassures like why my favorite players are some of my favorite players um so some of the guys i think that are super interesting are conforto obviously who didn't have a spring training last year um and and suffered the consequences of it of having a, a pretty disastrous first half and then sort of came back in the second half but wasn't really his normal self um another one was mcneil of course i mean he's there first day I think another really interesting one is T.J. Rivera. Um, T.J. Rivera being there first day is is really something that should be 
uh, oogled over because it's like this guy sort of made a name and then disappeared off the face of the earth. And I think he will possibly be a huge part of this team because, I mean, he's sort of that – other than Jed Lowry, he's that vers- versatile guy that can play the whole infield. And, I mean, judging by how they treat some of their infielders, maybe the outfield too. All right. Um, our number, uh, if you want to call in, uh, talk to us at 845-277-9345. That's 845 277 9345. Um, so I was just looking at Instagram real quick and I saw something. Uh, there was a tweet uh, posted about, from Matt Ehall. Um, and he said, uh, Seems Mets want McNeil, Nimmo, Conforto on opening day versus Scherzer. I think that would be ideal, definitely, to have against Scherzer. I mean, uh, try to stack up that uh, lineup with le- the lefty batters. Um, Greatest thing about uh, Broxton and uh, and uh, Lagarce on that roster is that they could be late inning additions, especially if there's like a left-handed pitcher coming in. Um, although McNeil, Nimmo, and Conforto hold their own very well against lefties usually, so that shouldn't really be a consideration. Maybe more so in a defensive way, um, but uh, I think that's ideal against Scherz. I think that would uh, be a the nice outfield set up, and then you've got the rest of the roster. You know, I think we could give him a run for his money with that type of uh, lineup. Decent. Yeah, and then with yeah with that with that starting lineup now announced, I think the biggest question is um, who starts at first. Uh, I mean, specifically with Alonzo being down probably for the first two weeks, I'm going to make a safe assumption that they're going to try and keep that six here. Um, I think the biggest question is first base because there's a few guys you could put there. I mean, you could either put Frazier there and have one of our younger guys take third. You can place Smith there and have Frazier back at third and have uh, Rosario at short and Cano at second. I mean, there's that. that's the biggest question going into opening day is who's going to fill that first base role and possibly take it from Alonzo because, I mean, we're, this is a playoff year. If he can't do it, then we're going to need someone to do it. So I think that's going to be a, a huge deal is who, whoever um, gets the decision to play the space. Well, I myself have full um, belief in Alonzo. I think he is a raw talent, raw power, great bat. The only thing that I question is defense. Is there a chance he will struggle at the major league level? Of course, every rookie goes through that. But I really do think he's going to. Um, I think he's going to do very well at the major league level, and I think he will do it in very soon. Um, I see his production being um, good enough. And now, um, I also. I know that most people think he's going to be left down, so we get that uh, sixth of a year. Um, but I really feel like there's a chance they'll keep him up at the beginning of the year. Maybe they don't because, you know, they, they have uh, Frazier and they have J.D. Davis, so they really stack up those first-base options. Dominic Smith, who usually gets forgotten, um, you know, so that 
um, they have options for those first couple weeks without Alonso. But, you know, Brody Van Wagenen has been adamant that um, Alonso will have the opportunity to win the uh, job right away out of spring. So that'll be interesting to see. All right, uh, quickly, our number is 845-277-9345. That is 845-277-9345. Call in if you want to talk Mets with us. Um, we will be right back. Make sure to tune into the Ivy this Sunday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time as we'll be talking about the NL Central. All all moves made by teams this offseason, such as the Cardinals signing Andrew Miller or them trading for Paul Goldschmidt, as well as, as well as breakout prospects for each team and how they will impact the team, along with predicted rosters and our and our division and playoff predictions. Make sure you tune in this Sunday at three. See you there. All right, and we're back. Um, this will be the last segment. Um, we're going to pivot to the announcement by Mickey Calloway that our fifth starting pitcher of the 2019 season. King Jason Vargas. Oh my God! Listen, I I had enough of watching him pitch last year. Um, I just don't see him as a reliable option to the extent that you can have a press conference right before spring training and say, "This is our guy. This is our fifth starter." The only reason they would ever do that is because they're giving him eight million dollars a year. He's got no um his uh. Pitches, you know, they're not reaching 90 miles per hour. He's never had a lot of velocity on his pitches, but they're not moving, you know. Um, and when that happens, you're going to get hit. And, you know, they should at least look at the uh, starting pitching options out there before they made this announcement. And they might still, but it's just annoying. Again, we are going to address all questions on the roster, everybody. And then they go around and do this to us. It's annoying. And, you know, they should at least allow for a competition in spring training. We have the options. Hector Santiago, Corey Oswald, Chris Flexen. Let's give him a run for his money because he doesn't have too much money at this point. Um, uh, not literally speaking, he does. He has a couple million. But, you know, um, in terms of uh, success with the Mets, he hasn't had a very good run so far. Yeah, and, and I mean, I love to play devil's advocate. Play I think you know that by son. But um, I, I, I'm not. I think they should have left it open. But I'm not totally angry because of uh, his second half last year, which I mean, we've all heard about how he went from around a nine ERA to about a, a four, but a, a low, a low four. Um, so, I mean, it is what it is. I, I mean, I feel like I say that a lot with a lot of the decisions that they've been making, but it is, it is what it is. And I, I mean, he didn't really get put into really like a, any long-term games, especially because he got hit out of a lot of games. But I mean, it just seemed like towards the end, once he, found a rhythm, he sort of started completing his pitches more. I mean, I saw a huge difference in him between 
September and May, just alone, not even watching video, but going to games. I mean, he just looked like a different pitcher, and he was using his pitches very differently. Um, and he's pitching now, with more velocity. Obviously. So, mm, I mean, I, it depends on how his the, spring training goes and, and how healthy he stays, because obviously that first half he was not healthy at all. It should be dependent on that, but it's not because he's already won the job. I mean, he could have a horrible spring training, but you still have Mickey Cowley walking out there like a dunce today or yesterday uh, and saying, this is our fifth guy. What if he has like a 10 ERA? Are you still getting, they still have the, the tape of him saying this is our guy. And then they might backtrack on it then, or they might just stick with him. Who knows? I mean, that's what happens when you make these type of decisions so early without um, giving the benefit of the doubt to competition. I think that anybody and everyone should be able to work for a spot um, no matter what in spring training, especially if somebody's so vulnerable as uh, Vargas is in the rotation. Now, um, one thing that I noticed last year, and listen, I'll be fair, and you're right, the second half was much better than the first half, albeit, uh, albeit uh, uh, less starts. Um, he had about a 5-3 record. I think it was a 380-RA. Um, he, w- one thing that I noticed is that he mixed his pitches much better in the second half, um, and he relied on his changeup much more. I mean, he was just throwing fastball after fastball, it seemed, early on, and that's not going to work when you throw 88 miles per hour. I mean, you're going to crush like that San Diego Padres game when the San Diego Padres kicked his ass early in the season. I remember that was dreadful. That was the Padres. I mean, that should be an easy team to beat. But, um, you know, that happened time and time again last year with Fargus. But when he did start mixing his pitches, utilizing that changeup more, he was more effective. But is that something you can hang your hat on? I don't know. Yeah, and I, I think a big part of it um, is the age, but not for the reason uh, you, you would think. I think he's still up to standard physically. I mean, he doesn't – he throws with the same velocity that he, did, that he did in his prime, which prime in quotation marks because he never had an amazing, amazing few seasons. But um, he, he's had a solid career. And it, he doesn't look very different from the years that he had great years. So I think what it was is it was more of an injury thing. It was a confidence thing. Um, and I think that confidence came back when he established a new pitch. Or not a new pitch, but established a pitch in a new way that he's never used before or maybe went back to. I haven't really looked at how his numbers for the past. But, I mean, it just seemed like the fact that he had a new pitch um, – it's sort of like you you got a new car, and I mean you're gonna drive your car a little bit better when when it's new. But um, you know I, I think you and I both agree. Um, you know he hasn't earned uh, that second half last year didn't really earn him the fifth rotation spot I think, and uh, you know it should be um, open season for that fifth rotation spot right now. They shouldn't just announce it so early. But you're right. Um, mixing up pitch. Look, this is what Bartolo Colon has lived upon the last couple of years. Mixing up pitches, trying to get as much movement as possible out of your pitches. Um, 
making pitches deceptive, um, trying to keep that ball as um, off the batter's eyes for as long as possible. You know, uh, that is how you succeed when you lose velocity. Now, CC Sabathia with the Yankees, you know, he had a couple seasons where he struggled uh, tremendously. We thought he was done, and then uh, he has the last couple seasons become a very viable option for the Yankees because he has mixed his speeds, um, his breaking pitch, his changeup, and his uh, fastball, two-seam fastball. So, you know, that's a recipe for success when you get older. And it's a reason why some uh, pitchers have had more longevity than others. Yeah, and, and I think uh, I just wanted to speak on uh, Callaway making the announcement super early. It sort of dawned on me as I was uh, just just thinking about what you were saying is um, is this could be just again it could be still be open season, but this is a confidence thing and. A guy at his age who is coming off of a year where, I mean, in a big market scenario, a lot of people disliked what he was doing, um, and he did not have good numbers in the first half. I think at this age, and he's coming to the close in his career, I mean, again, these guys are human. So I think getting this job super early is, is planned. It's not just Callaway speaking out of his out of his butt. Um, it's It's something that they decided to do probably island probably uh suggested it or something around those lines where it's still open season if someone does really amazing in spring training i think they win the job but i think right now to see vargas do well is what they're hoping for and that's what they're they're doing by saying this now i could be completely wrong in that it really doesn't matter what anyone does in spring training um taking uh-huh. the job but I think that, I think you could you can make a case for both ways and it really I mean I I couldn't tell you what really is the truth because I don't I don't work for the myth early early season predictor what will be um Jason Vargas's numbers in 2018 if he stays healthy I mean 2019 I'm sorry uh, in your um opinion. if he stays healthy uh, I will give him a solid four ERA. He'll strike out guys at the same rate that he always has, which is like I'm pretty. I'm not even looking at the numbers. I think it's around a a nine for nine, which is not crazy. But I mean, it's your fifth guy. I, I don't really think he's going to do great. I think he's probably going to walk people at a higher rate um, if he's trying to master a new pitch, uh, which I think is very possible. Him coming off of a season that his pitches is what did him in. It wasn't really even his arm. It was just him not being able to have the control that he used to, and he didn't really have the velocity that he did. Um, So I think he's not going to have all-star numbers, but I think in a healthy year, he can stick around 4 to 4.5, maybe a little bit less if if he gets on a hot streak. But And I think he's going to K at a normal amount. He's going to walk at a normal amount, maybe 2 or 9. He's not going to give up. He might give up home runs at a little bit of a higher rate than than anyone else, but um, that's just a sign of the age, and it's a sign of the position on the team. So I, I mean, I think healthy Jason Vargas is a pretty good asset to the team, and I think people forget easily um, what what guys have done in the past. 
Yep. Um, I get what you're saying there. Um, also, in other news, uh, just to uh, pivot to this, uh, another uh, minor league contract, uh, the Mets signed uh, Danny Espinosa. They have a lot of uh, depth at uh, middle uh, infield positions, which I think is uh, imperative uh, considering uh, lack of depth in those spots the last couple of seasons, which has hurt the Mets um, going down the line. Um, and depth all around has been pretty much um, improved upon. I even heard from a source that, uh, you know, the Mets are uh, looking at other starting pitching options. Clay Buckles, uh, Irvin Santana are two guys that I heard about. And those sound like two guys that would come into, you know, uh, spring training and actually give Jason Vargas competition. Even if that is a competition booster. You can't bring in one of those guys into spring training and say, you know, with all adamancy that um, Jason Vargas will be the fifth starter. I mean, you can't because of the track record that both of those pitchers have had, especially with Clay Buckles last year having a very good season. And I've always been an Irving Santana fan. I think uh, Buckles last year was, I mean, he showed that he's a great fifth guy. Again, he's going to have similar numbers to a healthy Jason Vardis, in my opinion. So I don't think he's, I mean, I'd be open for him to be part of the competition, but I mean, well, well, I mean, it, it is what it is. Again, I just feel like this is sort of the motto of the Mets. It is what it is. I think we should be going for Geo. I don't think we should be settling on Vargas, Buckholes, Irving Santana, any of these guys. But, um, but I think it is what, whoever produces think, should play. Do you think they'll come back around to Geo when, um, you know, um, he's – you know, he realizes that he's not going to get a better contract offer than nine million for one year. Honestly, when it hits the fan, and and I, I mean, I have more faith in Brody than I have in almost anyone in in the front office as as my time as a fan. When it all hits the fan, and Dallas Keuchel's still out there, I think we make a run at him. I mean, I I think it, it just makes sense, and he's going to be cheap. That makes sense. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens with that um, going forward. All right, let's wrap this up. Uh, thank you, everybody, for uh, joining us uh, again um, this week. And I think that, you know, it was very uh, good conversation today. And I can't wait till next week. See you all then. Amazing Mets is produced by Benson Vector. Amazing Mets is a production of the Baseball Podcast Network. Be sure to give our host a follow on Instagram. John at Mets Updates and Jake at the First 162. For more Amazing Mets content, be sure to head over to our website at baseballpodcastnet.com. And be sure to follow the Baseball Podcast Network on all their social media platforms. Instagram at Baseball Podcast Net. Twitter at Baseball Podcast One. That's P O D C A S One. 
YouTube at Baseball Podcast Network, and SoundCloud at Baseball Podcast Network. Thank you for tuning in to Amazing Mets. We'll see you next time.